One of the biggest issues that's emerged in the latest session of the St. Louis Board of Aldermen is whether to close a jail that's widely known as the workhouse. And one of the public officials that's leading that charge is St. Louis Alderman Dan Gunther. Gunther joins us on the latest edition of Politically Speaking to talk about the campaign to close the workhouse and the impasse over approving nominees to the Board of Freeholders. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. Well, we want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me in studio today is... Rachel Littman. And our special guest joining us for the first time since... 2017. Wow. Where does the time go? Our guest today is... Uh, Dan Gunther, Alderman of the Ninth Ward. Uh, just to remind our listeners, if they didn't listen to that very popular episode in 2017, uh, what is the boundaries of the Ninth Ward? Uh, the Ninth Ward uh, basically takes uh, all of Benton Park, uh, Benton Park West, so our northern boundary is uh, Gravoy Avenue. Goes uh, Gravoy going up north towards 55. Uh, so then we come down 55, taking part of Soulard, uh, Cherokee Street, uh, Marine Villa neighborhood, and then I go all the way down the riverfront to a, a wonderful neighborhood called Mount Pleasant. Mm. So you have the brewery. It's kind of the big landmark in your ward. The brewery is uh, definitely the biggest landmark. Um, we have a whole lot of uh, other landmarks. I would like to, uh, like the Lemp Brewery, um, which uh, has some great developments coming that way. Um, and then I would also say uh, Sugarloaf Mound, the last uh, mound standing in the city of St. Louis, is also in the Ninth Ward. Um, so the brewery in Bush is definitely our, our big, uh, big landmark, though. You're almost at year three of your aldermanic service. How has it been so far? Uh, it's been, uh, I would say, it's been a, uh, quite an adventure. Um, it's one of those uh, things where every day is a new challenge. Every day you learn something new. Um, obviously, when you get into the Board of Aldermen, they don't really give you a, a handbook as to what uh, the daily uh, occurrences are going to be. So you pretty much every day is uh, something new. Um, it is, uh, I like to say, it's everything I expected and much, much more. What so. has been sort of the, the biggest adjustment to you were active with uh, issues like uh, greening with, with Brightside, with Operation Brightside and some mm-hmm. other things. But what's the biggest adjustment now that you're responsible for that and so much more in your ward? Well, I try to continue. Uh, I do a lot of volunteer work still with Brightside. Um, I actually, this next week, we have a, a group of uh, high school seniors come in to do some cleanups in the ward. Um, so I still do a lot of volunteer work and, and help out a lot with Brightside, uh, help out a lot with uh, force relief and some of the other uh, kind of greening initiatives that um, I was always in support of. Um, but I would say the biggest challenge is just that, uh, you know, a lot of t- days, especially when we're in session, um, we're, we're at City Hall, we're, we're learning about uh, uh, not only bills that are coming through, but new programs that are being offered. Um, so being able to kind of, uh, you know, allocate the time 
to um, not just go to uh, you know one neighborhood association and and be involved with the events and and uh, committees and stuff of one neighborhood, um, but now you know you're looking at seven neighborhoods, and so um, it's a uh, it's very every month. Uh, it's kind of when a new month comes. I I almost look at it as Groundhog's Day, and it's like okay, well here comes uh, Soulard meeting, Ben Park meeting, Marine Villa. Here's this, and it's it's just this kind of uh, repetitive sort of uh, going, making sure that you add all these meetings to be able to engage with the, your constituents and let them know what's going on in the ward and in the city as a whole. What's the biggest misconception that you would have had about sort of City Hall, the way it functions as a resident and someone who was working with the city through their volunteer work and jobs that you realize wasn't entirely correct now that you're sort of inside that operation? Um, well, uh, there's a handful of things, but I would say probably um, the biggest thing is just the uh, uh, you know you're coming in and you know being part of the board of aldermen is is the legislative uh, sort of branch of our government. So we get questions every day. Um, you know our phones ringing off the hook about uh, more government services sort of things. Our our actual different departments. And so I would say the the biggest thing that was uh, that that has been a shock and, and also a learning curve is just. Um, you know, they're, they're really, uh, the communication between departments uh, is something that we obviously need to work on. Um, it's, uh, to me, it's interesting that you go to one, uh, say, building division and they can't tell you uh, what zoning has done or what excise has done, or um, you kind of have to figure out, you know, each different individual department and figure out who you're contacting your liaison is with that department. And a lot of times uh, there's no uh, one phone call gets you answers. Um, you have to, to really do a lot of digging. Um, whereas I thought coming into it is like, oh, well, you know, as an alderman, be able to hop onto this CityWorks network or, or have some sort of central communication uh, hub to where we're finding out answers on, on problems. But uh, instead, we just have to do a lot of, uh, of um, boot work and, and really just kind of uh, hitting the ground and, and calling everyone that we can to get answers for stuff. Well, let's talk about an issue that you've been kind of on the forefront of, and that is a bid to close St. Louis's medium security institution. Yep. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure I got that name right, which is better known as the workhouse. I want you to just explain very simply why you think this city jail should be closed. Uh, how to explain it very simply? Well, um, you know, or, this, or very complicated. Or very complicated. This is a podcast. Yeah. You, yeah. We can nerd out about it. Right. <laughs> Let's do it complicated. Um, so th- there's a number of uh, issues at, at uh, play here. Um, you know, there's talk about kind of the the overall um, really criminal justice reform as being something that uh, that not only the city needs to look at, but our, our courts need to look at, um, the judges need to look at. There's a whole bunch of pieces that all come together to look at what criminal justice reform really is. And when you look at the workhouse, um, you know, I look at uh, the, the different lawsuits that have been brought against the city of St. Louis for inhumane conditions, uh, for holding people indefinite amount of times, uh, for never, you know, just being charged with a crime and never actually convicted of a crime. So it's really just kind of a holding place um, for people until they can find Finally, meet with a lawyer. Finally, meet with a judge. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, that takes six, seven months. It has in the past, and that's what brought about these lawsuits. Um, and so, 
when the city of St. Louis looked at starting to address these things, and we actually got Supreme Court uh, decision to say, you know, we have to have um, a, a fast uh, turnaround for people if they're convicted of something, a, a fast turnaround for them being able to actually be charged and be able to uh, post a bail and get out. And so bail reform is obviously a, a big part of the closing the workhouse, um, and that's why we've gotten to the numbers that we have right now uh, to where we have a facility that was originally able to hold uh, almost 1,200 like 1,185 people, but almost 1,200 people, and we're down uh, right around 200 people that we're holding now. So if we're if we're continuing to look at trends and we're seeing that that um, you know the courts, the judges, uh, we're we're getting the numbers of people that are being held down, then the the next thing we need to look at is how do we uh, go about going to a you know one facility city, uh, whereas right now we have you know not only the workhouse but also the justice center. So we have two facilities. Um, to be able to house people, and uh, if we can get to the point where um, only one facility is needed, then we can go ahead and take a look at the money that we have in our budget for uh, running the workhouse right now. Um, how can we allocate that towards other um, services for our citizens? So um, there's a you know whether that's um, pretrial. Um, services, uh, making sure that people are being able to be released, uh, but then they have kind of like a, a social worker to be able to help them with transportation, uh, getting text messages of when their trials are coming about, um, all the pretrial sort of things. Um, but we can also look at things such as uh, we don't have any sort of, um, um, right now we don't have any sort of the, the 24-hour walk-in shelter for uh, for our unhoused citizens. So how can we go about those sort of um, programs or how can we help out those uh, uh, individuals? We don't have anything for victim services. So a lot of times people are, are, that are a victim of a crime, um, they don't have a whole lot of follow-up from whether that's social workers or the police department or anyone um, to really kind of help with some of the trauma that comes with being a victim. So um, there's a whole lot of services that we, you know, continue to have citizens and we continue to have people ask for, uh, but then when, when as a legislator we go about and start bringing up these issues, we're immediately told, well, we don't have money to address those things. So if we can look at a way to close down the workhouse and be able to redirect our money into services for our people, um, then I think that it's ultimately going to be what lowers crime rates down uh, versus just straight incarceration. So we actually have a clip from St. Louis Mayor Lida Cruson when she was on our show, St. Louis on the Air. And the host of that show, Sarah Fenske, asked about whether she would be committed to closing the workhouse. Yeah, the, the question was basically, do you see a time where we could get to one jail operating mm -hmm. in the city of St. Louis? Um, you know, we're almost there now. we got 232 people at MSI. Um, so we're not there yet, but we've we've worked very hard at that. Are you on the other to hand, getting there? I, I am. However, I want to make sure that we can detain the people who need to be detained. There are folks who believe that our crime uh, violence is related to not having enough people detained. I don't happen to think that's the case right now, but I do know that there's a balance here that you have to do to keep the public safe, detain the people who need to be detained. So what do you make of the mayor's comments and other comments she's made about closing the workhouse? And just on, you know, based on what you have seen her and her people do mm -hmm. sort of behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, I, I see it as encouraging. Uh, you know, there's there's definitely been a multiple, like, 
I would say a little over two years that uh, different organizations, um, you know, again, the Bail Project, Arch City Defenders, other groups have been working towards this uh, criminal justice reform and working towards um, the overall goal of closing the workhouse. I say it's encouraging that um, that we now have our elected, other elected officials, such as the mayor, coming out saying that, oh, their overall goal is eventually to get to one facility. Um, and when we're looking at, you know, again, looking at the numbers, uh, from looking at the report right here, we've had a 50 55% decrease in our MSI population um, since, uh, let's see, uh, September of 2018 until July of 2019. So um, so I, I look at it as, uh, you know, a, a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, um, there were uh, a lot of the same people saying, oh, we can never close the workhouse. We have to have that facility. Um, then maybe six months ago, uh, we had the same people saying, well, maybe we can look at how we can repurpose that facility, and maybe we can look at ways that that facility can be used for other services. Um, and now we're finally to the point to where, you know, even, you know, the mayor's office, Room 200, kind of had a, um, a fact sheet uh, that they gave out to the Public Safety Committee. And in that fact sheet, it does say that their overall goal is getting down to one facility. So, you know, I completely agree with the mayor that, you know, obviously people that are a, a danger to society, um, you know, especially cases of domestic violence, uh, gun violence, those items, of course, you know, those are not people that are going to be walking out free. But um, when we're looking at the numbers and we see that we've had a 55% decrease in the number of people at uh, MSI or the medium security slash workhouse, um, and a lot of that is, is due to um, some of the, the, the bail reform uh, issues, but then at the same time, we've had a 58% increase in our federal detainees. So what the city's doing is we're increasing, when we have open beds, we're increasing the number of federal detainees that we have. And so a big part of the close the workhouse is saying that the city doesn't need to be the one they're holding federal uh, detainees. Um, we can have all the room we need if we um, let other areas, whether that's St. Louis County or any other, uh, I think St. Anne has a facility, uh, any other place that can hold federal detainees, let them hold them, and then we would have enough room in our justice center to be able to house everyone that is, you know, a, a threat to society uh, from the workhouse, be able to hold them there. Now, obviously, a lot of criminal justice areas in reform are not something that the mayor would have any hand in. It's a lot with prosecution, judges, etc. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, she's saying here that eventually, yes, we would like to get down to one facility. What would you like to see her do to sort of put some meat and a plan behind those words within the limit of what she can do as mayor in the criminal justice system? Well, in the, uh, the resolution that we um, push forward uh, that is uh, you know, asking for the closing of the workhouse. Um, that resolution is basically, uh, you know, a lot of people have thought that that the resolution is saying, you know, oh, open the doors, turn off the lights, and let everyone go. Uh, it does not say that. The resolution basically says that the Board of ENA, the Board of Estimates and Approachment, could go ahead and come up with a plan of, uh, you know, whether that's going to be the next six months, the next year, the next couple years, of a plan of how we are going to be reducing our federal inmates um, to be able to house the, the MSI people. And so um, at the same time, this, this plan, uh, and, you know, and I've had a lot of conversations with other aldermen and, and other people in the field that, um, that say, you know, some of the things that they're concerned about, uh, such as um, placement of the, all the employees that are currently at, at the workhouse. You know, so that's something that we could put into the plan. Um, I've, you know, I've met with the public safety director, the, uh, Dale Glass, the commissioner of the, um, the jails, um, and 
they say that there's about 50 openings right now in the Justice Center. So uh, we, we have a spot where all of our employees uh, that are currently working in corrections in, in the workhouse, if we have a place for them, um, you know, that should be in the plan. Uh, we also, you know, talk all the time about how many overall jobs there are in the city of St. Louis that are available. So if we need to have some money that's allocated towards uh, retraining uh, to be able to place uh, people from corrections into other uh, departments, then we can do that. So um, so what's the overall goal? The overall goal is to get uh, the mayor and the board of ENA uh, to say we're dedicated to coming up with a plan of how, you know, in, in a certain time period we can get down to the point where we only need to be paying for one facility. And there's a lot of questions about uh, the price uh, of, of what it costs us uh, to run the workhouse. But, um, you know, you can look through our, our budget books and we see there's roughly about a $16 million budget to run the workhouse, you know, and of course that's, you know, food, that's healthcare, that's uh, clothing, that's, you know, all the things that go, you know, employment, the the utilities. Um, but, you know, if, if we have some portion of that money that we are able to save by closing that facility, then those that's the amount of money that we look at to be able to reinvest in other social services. And so I think that's the overall goal is coming up with a plan of how this can work over the, over time. So back in January, you were at a press conference that unveiled this plan to mm-hmm. close the workhouse. And you spoke about this resolution, which was going to be heard through the Public Safety Committee. Yes. And uh, just wanted to kind of lay out where you were at that time in terms of optimism around getting this resolution passed. We have uh, quite a few others that uh, have either signed on already, which, uh, as was reported, is in the press release. Um, but then there are a number of others that we've been working with uh, over the last week to uh, really kind of highlight some of the issues um, uh, that getting wording into the resolution about the job placement uh, and a couple other issues like that. So uh, we're confident that we'll be able to um, gather the support that we need to get the 15. So 15 is the magic number at the Board of Aldermen to pass anything. It would be that resolution or the budget. Where do things stand today with Resolution 205? Are you still that optimistic individual you were back in January? Well, I'm, I'm always optimistic. Um, and, and I do believe that, uh, that there are a lot of people... Uh, again, that I've talked to on the board um, that say that yeah, overall, yes, they think that this is the right thing to do. Um, however, there are still a number of questions uh, that, that need to be answered. Um, so, uh, of course, I'm still optimistic. Um, it, I'm not sure uh, at, the, at the moment. Uh, I'm not sure if this is going to be something um, that we're going to be able to get through this session because uh, we only have uh, one week left in this session and then uh, the last day signed I. Um, but this is something we're going to continue to fight for. Like I said earlier, this is something that has been work, that been um, there's been progress on this for t- over two years. Uh, we're continuing to see our numbers go down uh, in, in the number of people that we're detaining. Um, so I'm continuing to be optimistic that this is something that in 2020 we are going to be able to come up with a, a way um, to, com- to say eventually this workhouse will be closed. We'll be right back after this short break with Alderman Dan Gunther. And we're back on Politically Speaking with St. Louis Alderman Dan Gunther. I want to talk about an issue that I think has become a partial obsession for me and to some extent, Mm -hmm. Rachel, and that is... Only because he sits across from me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, and that is the inability to for the city to uh, seat its members to the Board of Freeholders. Now, you're on the Intergovernmental Affairs Committee. I am. And uh, you have probably been through many, many frustrating weeks and months of inability to approve freeholder nominees. And unfortunately, the chairman of this committee, Sam Moore, passed away. So that creates another wrinkle 
that of inactivity that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people who want to see this process go forward, they're saying, what the heck is going on? Why is the city not meeting its constitutional obligations? And right. when is there going to be a resolution? So I guess those are three questions to start off with. But like <laughs> question one, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Does uh, anyone know really what's going on? Right. And uh, yes, I am. I do sit on that committee, Intergovernmental Affairs. Um, and we've had many meetings. Uh, the, the first meeting that we had to uh, address the Board of Freeholders um, or the Board of Electors, as we're supposed to be now calling it, um, was uh, a little over six hours of interviewing um, possible uh, appointees to that Um and so uh, from the first meeting, uh, you know, there was a – and it seems like there's, there's always a issue uh, when it comes to the mayor having a group of people they appoint, whether it's, you know, this board of electors or it's uh, um, any sort of board that is appointed, even like SID boards and, and stuff like that, that, uh, that you know, rightfully so, uh, our uh, citizens uh, and the representatives of North City, they want to make sure that there is fair representation of uh, everyone across the city. So um, the first meeting that we had, uh, there were a number of people that were um, appointed uh, that were Central Corridor or South City um, that the uh, that some of our colleagues uh, wanted to see more um, uh, kind of north of Del Mar representation. Uh, so that was the first thing that held it up. Then we went through and we had some uh, some people that were kind of suggested or reappointed. We had one meeting where um, not 30 minutes before we walked into the meeting, we had uh, an agreement between uh, myself and, and the, the chairman and the uh, vice chairman, uh, Alderwoman Tyus from the first ward. Uh, we went in thinking that we're gonna, we all finally came to an agreement. This has now been a couple months ago. Um, we walk into the meeting, and all of a sudden, the, the names that were on the table in front of us were different from what we agreed on 30 minutes ago. So, um, and so we kind of, uh, at that point, that was when, uh, when, uh, one of the representatives or uh, one of the nominees, um, LaShawn Lewis was excluded. And I thought, uh, you know, it, in a city as diverse as ours and a, a city with as much, um, you know, culture and, and vibrant community that we have, that, uh, it would be ridiculous for us to, uh, have zero LGBT representation on the board. So then that was what kind of held it up. Uh, we wanted to have some LGBT plus sort of representation. So, um, so then uh, as of just even here, I guess it was uh, two weeks ago, um, we thought that we finally had a, a list of nominees that would be able to get through. Um, and then unfortunately, that's when the chairman uh, really um, kind of his, his illness really set in. Uh, and then, you know, for the last couple of weeks, I think it's just been uh, a little bit out of respect, you know, and then also just uh, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of things just going on right now that uh, that it hasn't, we have not been brought back uh, for our um, Intergovernmental Affairs Committee. Um, but I am optimistic on that as well, that we are going to have, uh, we have a set of names. Um, the vice chair, uh, just as of last week, the vice chair said that she's been having successful meetings with the mayor's office, mm-hmm. that they seem to be coming to a uh, agreement um, that will hopefully uh, not only represent, um, have representation north of Del Mar, but will also have some LGBT and also hopefully a Hispanic um, uh, representative on there. This has struck me a little bit, and I don't know if this is just because the mayor knows that she's going to have a re-election campaign, she's going to have an opponent from the Board of Aldermen, but there have been a lot of things that have struck me as kind of 
beyond the natural tension between the legislative and the executive branch mm-hmm. in any government, whether it's, you know, the mayor's office. There's been a lot of complaints that the mayor's office isn't listening to aldermen. And there was a big mm-hmm. kerfuffle last week with uh, the amount of that's available in ward capital accounts and that it's yeah. not being spent. Is this just normal tension between an executive and a legislative branch, or is this going beyond that? Um, well, uh, as was mentioned at the beginning, I'm in my third year down there. So uh, so it's hard for me to say if this is just the normal. Um, but I do think that, um, you know, especially for, with this, the, the Board of Electors slash Board of Freeholders issue, um, you have to look at where this kind of originally came from. When the Better Together plan was put out there uh, and uh, there was a lot of opposition from people in the Board of Aldermen uh, and citywide, a lot of opposition to this Better Together plan of kind of being a top-down sort of uh, directive of, hey, this is how we're going to combine the city and county and all 89 municipalities, and this is how we're going to change our regional government. But it didn't really have any input from neighbors and communities and, and especially North City communities. So um, so I think that uh, there's still a lot of kind of anger and, and like kind of leftover sort of um, uh, feelings about how that process was put together. And so then for the, the Board of Freeholders to come through, um, you know, I personally look at it as like, well, this is just an opportunity for us to have some really great dialogue between the city and county of what sort of issues can we work on. You know, we don't need to look at combining, you know, the city and county. We don't need to look at some giant uh, merger unification right now. But what services can we provide um, that that we can work on together? And, you know, one of them, obviously, is is the health and human services issues. Um, We're looking at right now with uh, things that are going on with coronavirus. You know, why are we not having the city and the county both sitting at the table talking about what we're doing regionally. Um, so I think that there's still, um, I would say that, that uh, is this normal? I, I would hope it isn't normal, um, but I do think that there's still a lot of, uh, of anger over the way that the Better Together was proposed, and I think that there's, uh, there's a, not as much willingness from some members to say, okay, well, let's, let's try to do plan B. You know, they want to just, they want things to stay the way they are, the city to be its own, not to unify with the county. And, uh, and, you know, so I think because of that, uh, there's just, there's just kind of some roadblocks that people um, don't want to uh, look at how we can combine services. Is there a lot of anger with Cruson for supporting the Better Together plan and wanting to give ultimate power over to now incarcerated St. Louis County Executive Steve Stanger? I think that is in uh, a lot of people's in the back of their mind of uh, how uh, easy uh, the the leadership in the city was about to hand over uh, the metro mayor position to someone that we did not elect. Um, and I know that uh, there, I think that there still uh, are a lot of people that feel like this is being pushed upon them. Uh, and although the, the Board of Freeholders, Board of Electors sort of uh, thing is more of a bottom down or a bottom up. I mean, it's more of the, uh, the bottom up sort of planning because it is just it's a, a group of um, individuals that are, you know, community activists, uh, education uh, people, a, a lot of teachers actually in the in the ones that were appointed by the city. There's a lot of retired teachers. Um, so I think that there's, uh, you know, it's a lot more community-based of how to come up with a um, some sort of uh, working together. Um, but there's definitely some anger of, uh, you know, people calling it the Better Together 2 and uh, how they see this as being something that's pushed upon them. 
in in the little bit of time that we have left this this afternoon, what are you looking forward to for next session? Obviously, you said that there are two more days left in this one mm-hmm. this week. Then you'll be on spring break until April to wrap up this business. Starting April, whatever the first day is of the 2020-2021 session, yep. what is the alderman from the Ninth Ward going to be pushing? We have a, uh, a lot of things that we are pushing, a lot of things I'm looking forward to. Um, the uh, Some of the things that are currently being worked on, um, uh, my colleague from the 6th Ward, Ingr- Christine Gracia, uh, there is a paid family leave bill that is being worked on. Um, I'm excited to be uh, you know, supporting that and, and doing whatever I can to, to help uh, push that along. Um, so, you know, I... Every month when I go to neighborhood meetings, we every month I'm talking about how many positions are open in the city of St. Louis. And when I get phone calls about uh, a trash not being picked up or a pothole not being filled, um, you automatically go to the fact that we are down so many employees that you know we're we're scrambling to keep all these um, you know pieces working. So um, I'm really excited that uh, that in this session um, that the board was able to uh, not only approve a uh, a one-time uh, kind of bonus for all city employees, uh, but also uh, for the first time we have a, a 3% uh, pay pay raise for the next two years, where for, uh, from what I've heard, for you know over 10 years, it's been a 1.5% uh, raise every year. So, so basically doubling the cost of living adjustment right. that they'll yep. get every year. Yep, exactly. So um, so not only will, you know, being able to increase our pay, uh, hopefully get us more people working for the city, um, but then also having issues, um, you know, such as the paid family leave. Um, and it's uh, not only um, for, um, you know, Mothers and fathers uh, um, with children. It's also uh, covers uh, for having to take care of elderly parents. So, um, so if someone has an elderly parent that they need to take care of, like this is the this is the first time that we're going to be able to offer uh, any sort of paid family leave. So I'm excited about that going on. Um, also excited about a few things going on. Uh, you know, the, the state of Missouri, we approved uh, medical marijuana. Um, the list of the dispensaries and the growing facilities came out, and Cherokee Street uh, has quite a, a large number of them. Um, as far as I know, has two uh, growing facilities, one uh, um, testing uh, kind of uh, laboratory, and then uh, three dispensaries. Um, so I look at that kind of uh, new industry, kind of a, a, a new um, sort of uh, potential coming to to the Ninth Ward and to the city of St. Louis. Um, so I've been talking with a couple other of my colleagues about possibly looking at um, you know what we can do from the city uh, standpoint to um, to kind of not only get rid of uh, marijuana convictions um, and get rid of some you know people that are spending time in prison because of uh, minor uh, marijuana possession uh, cases, um, but then also looking at uh, for the future uh, if we are going to be you know so we're still in a crunch with hiring people. What can we do to uh, say okay if you have a mer- medical marijuana card, why should you not be able to have some of the the jobs whether it's a mechanic or cutting grass or uh, you know or filling potholes? Um, why why is that a barrier to being able to get a job in the city when legally you can have a, a medical card? So. Um, so that is one of the things I'm looking forward to in the next session, uh, to really approaching that and seeing what we can do to um, to get you know our, our city hiring practices more in line with uh, with what the state law is of being able to have a, a medical marijuana card. Well, Alderman, thank you so much for joining us on this gloomy 
Monday afternoon, I think. Yeah, it's afternoon. afternoon. Yep. And after daylight savings time. Um, right. We're yeah. all we're all dragging a little bit. A little for, bit. for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Rachel on Twitter at at R Lipman two P's two N's. How can people follow you on Twitter or any other parts of the World Wide Web? Oh, I I'm out there somewhere. I don't do a whole lot of social media, but I do believe it's uh, Dan Gunther STL uh, oh. on Twitter um, and uh, also Facebook and stuff. So. Um, or just come on down to the Ninth Ward, walk down Cherokee Street, and you'll probably see me. Cherokee Street is one of St. Louis's jewels, and yes. I often use uh, the Mud House, which I'm not sure is in your That's, ward. That is in my ward. Oh, great, as a meeting place whenever yes. I want to meet somebody. So right. if, if you're meeting Jason Rosenbaum, Chances are you're coming to the Mud House. You're just Perfect. doing all sorts of plugs for St. Louis businesses today, yeah. aren't you? Well, yeah. And don't forget about Whisk. They're doing their whole uh, remodel right now, but uh-huh. that is another wonderful meeting place. We're so. just going to uh, fall- eat and drink our way down Cherokee Street. Eat and Street. drink down Cherokee. Also, rest in peace, Foam. Foam was yes. a great place. Yes. Um, don't go over there anymore because it no longer exists, but there are a lot of great businesses right there now. So right. until next time, so long. 